Hello, and welcome to Tabletop Game Talk, On Topic, a show where we talk about tabletop gaming topics of all kinds. I'm one of your hosts, Fletcher. I'm Kitty. And I'm Chris. Today we're talking about how big box stores like Walmart and Target affect the local game store and the industry as a whole. Are Target exclusives a good thing? Are these stores pulling business away from the smaller stores? Is this the end of the local game store? No, but it's worth looking into how big box stores getting into the hobby will affect the hobby going forward. But first, a thank you to our Patreon friends of the show, Adam Harrison and the SGC, and a huge thank you to all of our other patrons as well. Okay, as of this recording, Kitty and I are going to head to Dip Gen Con in two days. Yup. Are, are you ready? Define ready. Do you have your Keyforge deck picked out? Yes. Do you have all of the t-shirts you're going to wear prepared? No. Do you have a place for one to go? Yes. <laughs> no. <laughs> you mean player three? <laughs> now I have to edit. Nah. Um, and yes. All right. I am not close to ready because I have to pack up 50 plus games. And I have then- yet to unpack my bag from the last trip I went on. So there's that. <laughs> All right. When you went to go see the cloggers or whatever. We did see the cloggers. The cloggers were everything I hoped they'd be and more. They taught us dances. It was magical. Did you get clogs? No. Oh. I- but I did get to dance with them. And one of the girls from the Lincoln County cloggers said she liked my hairstyle. So. <laughs> and there's video of this someplace? Uh, maybe. Not that I have or that you'll ever find. <laughs> Not that you'll ever see. Feels like I'm going to have to track this down. <laughs> so, I am not ready. Like I said, I had too many games to pack, too many stuff. And then this week I decided to throw my back out so I can... I'm, I'm going to make everyone else carry all the games. Is that the first time you've done this? Um, well, it's not a bone thing. It's it's a muscle thing. So, I guess pull, my, pull a muscle in my back is probably a better way of doing it. Right. But is that the first time you've done this? It's the first time... So, I mean, just being human, you have lower back pain from time right. to time. This is the first time where I actually went to an urgent care because I'm like, <laughs> I can't walk in the morning. I think you're and- officially old now. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, because Sydney went away for a work trip. So I'm taking care of Zach all by myself and without being able to walk. So they gave me like a steroids treatment, which is cool because now I'm super buff. But the steroids are gone. So now I have all the side effects and the buffs worn off. The buff is worn off. (laughs) (laughs) Just just saying. I actually see this like as a status buff in a video game right now. Steroids. It's a stim pack. Yeah, exactly. So that was that's awesome. Um I can I can move around a bit, but yeah, I'm not going to be super, super mobile at Gen Con. I'm going to sit in one place and be like, ah, this feels good. So I'm going to be fine. The most important thing, though, did you pick your deck? I'm going to use a deck that I used in the last Vault Tour. So Boring. I'm just like, I know, but I'm actually looking more towards the sealed anyway. Like that one's the one I'm more excited I'm about. I'm really excited about the sealed, except I feel like I'm so unprepared. I have not been playing a lot of Keyforge, and I'm just going to do very poorly. Um, but that's fine. <laughs> but you, but you'll have fun. Poorly. <laughs> I will have fun. And you will choose fine, because we'll all sit together in our Grey Rider t-shirts and help each other pick decks. Yeah, I should have like a, like, you know, if you're wearing your t-shirt with your team on it, 
Like everyone has like their nickname on the back. Mine should just be like the worst one. <laughs> I like that. I like that. But then we have to come up with nicknames for everyone. We could do that. This should get a sponsorship from Cozy Phones. <laughs> yes, I love seeing that when I started up Discord today. Yeah, the Cozy oh. Phone. Yeah, <laughs> the eight links to Cozy Phones. <laughs> yep. Link was in the show notes. I did put it there. So, man, this has been a really long week because I barely remember our last show. But well, we it's not like our schedule's last off. Time. Oh, right. We did because you were going out of town. Because I was going out of town. Okay. That explains it. Because I'm like, I don't even remember the last time I talked to you guys. <laughs> it's but been so long. And Fletcher, you said you had a birthday party to go to? Yeah. it w- It's my um, cousin's 30th birthday party that I'm going to this weekend, which is why... Which is the reason why I'm not joining you guys at Gen Con. All right. Next year, let's um, avoid birthdays. We'll see. Gen Con Gen Con tends to stay within the same range. This is the earliest it's ever been, though, because it actually starts in July. And oh, I have really? not gotten to one. Because it's yet. also Lollapalooza weekend. Yes. I'm really excited to be out of Chicago for Lollapalooza yeah. this week. Three years ago, we were driving from Chicago, like leaving from work. And to go to Gen Con. So people were just meeting me there. It took us an hour and a half to go a mile and a half through Lollapalooza traffic. Ugh. It was, and there was absolutely no way around it. It was just straight gridlock for a mile. And, like it added just, it was just ridiculous. It was terrible. So now we don't leave from the city anymore. Not with Lollapalooza. Oh, wow. We are going really far off topic, I think, but that's okay. I think Gen Con is going to be cool. We are going to do a live show from Gen Con. It's just going to be Kitty and I. We will probably, I think Spencer and Sydney will help us in some way. Maybe we'll have them on the mics. There's not going to be anyone to watch, so we could bring them up. Yeah. There will be no children present, correct? Unlike last year in which we (laughs) scared player three out of the room. (laughs) There was applause and then, yeah, yep. I'm pretty Although sure now exactly. he's learned to love applause, and when people applaud, he like joins in and looks around like, "What am I clapping for?" <laughs> he looks for the football. That's what he associates with uh, applause. Loud noises must be a football someplace. I see that. Um, yeah, I don't actually know what we're going to do for the show yet. I'm, uh, I kind of make these things up as I go along. But I do know that there are going to be a ton of games to give away. And there are still a few tickets left. So if you don't have tickets and you're going to be at Gen Con, do a little quick search, Tabletop Game Talk Live, and get some tickets and meet us Friday night, 8 o'clock at, I think it's in room 8 under the studio to like meeting room 8. Um, but it, if you have a ticket, it'll tell you where to go to. And it will be fun. And we're going to have a good time. Okay, let's get to a real topic. And this is thanks to a friend of ours, a new friend of ours that Kitty Kitty made our, made a friend of. And <laughs> I'm so good at that. <laughs> and I am I've been going through all the question emails like every week I like go through them again and there's just a lot of really good stuff there. So, we we have a lot of cool material coming up. But Kitty, why don't you kick us off on this one? All right. So, we get received an email from John T. Thomas. 
Unfortunately, I am not the Jonathan Taylor Thomas. As a child of the 90s named Jonathan Tyler or John Tyler Thomas, I was asked about my name a lot growing up. I was the cheap knockoff brand. (laughs) (laughs) Um, As to why I emphasize my middle initial, I would suggest Googling Monty Python John Thomas. Apparently, my parents weren't Monty Python fans. Neither am I. I'll have to Google this later. Fletcher, do you know this? I don't actually know this. All right, right. So you need to like pause the recording for two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> no, Kitty, keep reading Fletcher Google. Go. Okay. I do have a question about board games and the bubble from a retailer perspective. Do you think Target's and Walmart's entry into selling more serious board games, especially Target, could lead to friendly local game stores going by the wayside? I know Amazon and Kickstarter have already eaten into the local game store market, and I'm concerned that the so-called big box stores could lead to an even further decline. Thank you, John T. Thomas, not the JTT. <laughs> So there's an easy one-word answer to this, but I don't think that you guys are going to let me get away with it. So we're going to talk about this for an excessive period of time. But first, Fletcher, how's the Google search? Uh, Good. So it's from The Life of Brian. Sorry, not The Life of Brian. The Meaning of Life. And that's all I've gotten so far. I've watched the first 10 seconds of this YouTube video. But it has to do (laughs) with Catholics and Protestants. It's minutes. We are not pausing the show. We're going to continue on. It's two minutes, and it's about Catholics and Protestants. That's all I've gathered so far, and it's from The Meaning of Life. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we are going to put the link in the show notes. Um, and by that, may, I mean, Fletcher, put the link in the show notes so I can put it in the show notes. Um, which is funny, because we have two different types of show notes. We have our show notes, and then we have the notes that go along when the podcast is posted. And there's always it's just show notes. But in any case, what do you guys think? Target, Walmart, destroying the industry? No. no, not the industry, but the friendly local game store. No. no. <laughs> All right. End of episode. Now we can watch. Yeah. Done. We did Done. it. <laughs> Topic covered. I concur with this. I think that Target and Walmart are actually, if anything, would have the opposite effect than Amazon and Kickstarter are. And the reason I say that is Amazon's a place you go to because you want to buy a game for cheap and you want it delivered and you don't want to have to go to your local game store. So that actively takes away from local game store sales because you can just get it cheaper on Amazon. Kickstarter isn't necessarily cheaper, but if you're going to get a game that's on Kickstarter, the game stores are ten, tend not to buy those games. So the new hot game that just came out on Kickstarter, you're not going to find that at your local game store because they had to invest in it, you know, a year to two years ahead of time. So they're kind of lose out there. Target and Walmart, though, this is actually, it's sort of almost like free advertising for the local game store. And I think it's a different clientele as well. So... A gamer who's used to going to game stores may go into a Target and take a look at the game section and see if there's anything there that, you know, because Target has Target exclusives. We'll talk about this in a little bit. But I don't think the opposite. I I don't think that if I go to a Target, I'm never going to go back to my local game store. Right. It's I'm going to go to my local game store for different reasons and for different games. Target doesn't have those things. Nodding is good. (laughs) <laughs> I, I thought you were still talking. It's hard to tell when you finish a thought sometimes. Um, <laughs> it's because I never actually have one in the first place. <laughs> no, because so, it's like stream of conscience, consciousness. It really it is. Really, I, I don't construct anything ahead <laughs> of time. So I agree. I think that 
if you're a gamer and you go to the local game store and you go to Target, you might buy something there, but it probably wasn't something you were going to specifically buy at the game store anyway. It might be a Target exclusive, which um, we can talk about in a bit. But I do think it does draw people into the game aisle who wouldn't necessarily buy games at the local game store to begin with. And they might pick up something like Ticket to Ride or Settlers of Catan or some of the other more entry-level games. And if they get into that, they're going to start searching out places to buy more games and to play their games that they're into now. And that would lead them into the local game store. Yep, I, I agree completely. I think it's a feeder into getting... like Even if it's just a small portion of those people, it still says, oh, wait, there's more things here than Monopoly and Scrabble. Especially people like who are buying games as gifts for somebody like, um, I know my sister bought Splendor for her nephew-in-law, something like that. She's not really a gamer. She doesn't go hang out at game stores. But now this 13-year-old kid who got Splendor is aware of this new world of games that might lead him into you know, the local game store that might get him into something, you know, more involved. That's how kids end up at like, you know, Friday Night Magic every Friday. And it amazes me that Splendor has any kind of shelf presence. Great game. Awesome gateway game. I I don't know why anyone would pick it up and buy it based on the box art. That's that's a game that really needs a facelift as far as art's concerned. But I'm I digress. Hey, Eve did it. Eve went into Target, (laughs) and of all the games, that's the one she picked up. I don't know if she did research or what, but... So without asking, that's just the one she she came away with? This was, like, before I was on the podcast. This happened years ago. Wow. Hmm. See, that's impressive to me, and that's it's it's anecdotal, but I like it. I like the fact that that happens. Fletcher, what's the last game you bought at Target? Uh, I think it was actually... um, What's the name of it? How... House on the Hill, Haunted House. Oh, Betrayal. I, betrayal. Yes. I so I always I always butcher the name because I get it mixed up with the Netflix series of like a very <laughs> similar name. So I'm always there are like, like eight movies of almost the same title. Exactly. So it just like it's, it's the Haunted House on somewhere. <laughs> the Haunted House game. <laughs> See, and that game to me is amazing to me that it's a mass market game because. It's a deep, like, it's a complicated game. When you open it up, there's a ton of little bits and pieces in there. There's two really thick books, plus the rule book that goes along with it. And it just seems way bigger than a mass market game would be. But it has tons of mass market appeal. Like, a lot of people have played this game that may have not played anything else in the hobby because it exists at a hobby or at a at a Target or a Walmart or something like that. So what about you, Kitty? What's the last game you bought at a Target? And I say Target to just cover all of it. And I think Target's like the biggest big box game store that's getting into games. That, what I, You know what I mean. Target is also where I spend like 90% of my retail life. So it's fair. <laughs> I think the last game, though, that I bought at Target was a children's game called Flapjack something. It was a pancake stacking game I got for uh, my nephew. See, the one, I think I bought a Bob Ross game at Target. The Art of Chill. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's where I got it. That was a Target exclusive. Yep. So it's now time to talk about Target exclusives. (laughs) It's now time to talk about Target exclusives. Because, and I I don't know if the pulse of the gamer is against, is, is for or against Target exclusives. 
what are you guys, what is your feeling, like your knee-jerk reaction to a game that Target is going to have exclusive for the first year of its existence? Because that's typically how long they um, is it require really a an year? exclusive. Yeah. I thought it was just like a few months. It's tip for Target, it's typically a year. There's other places that have had like, you know, a month or two or three or whatever. But I think for Target, they want a bigger investment since it's going to so many different stores. So knee knee jerk reaction on that. I have mixed feelings. I, I mean, think <laughs> it seems I don't know. Both parties agreed, right? So guess both parties are happy. <laughs> So both parties being the publisher slash distributor and Target. Target. I do think, though, that the game store kind of gets left out on this one. And this is where, with the exclusive, they can draw business directly away from the game store. This This is a game that a game store would probably pick up that you cannot go purchase at your game store. You have to go into Target to get it. And that I find kind of, like, not great, but at the same time, you know, it's not that many games for now. It happens. I think there's been like a couple of them a year for a while now. But if it keeps gaining momentum, if Target wants to make itself like we're the big box store that gamers go to and you can pick up anything you can pick up at your local game store in a Target game aisle, it might start really drawing business away from the game store more so. So the creators and publishers will probably make more money, which is yes. good for them. I mean, they're, I mean, they mean street appeal <clears throat> of your friendly local game store. Sh- sure. But on We're the one killing hand, middle America, Fletcher, <laughs> uh, what are they going to do that. with themselves? <laughs> I don't know that. I mean, I have no idea what goes into this kind of deal, but I would think that, the person and the publishers, I'm assuming, really like the gaming hobby and the art, if you will. But at the end of the day, you gotta, you know, pay your bills and eat food and pay a mortgage. So if they can guarantee a lot more money from Target or Walmart or wherever, then I mean, I can't begrudge them from for doing that. So, hundred percent agree. I actually think that Target exclusives are amazing for everyone involved maybe maybe you could say the the local game store is going to miss out on a couple games like literally a handful of games a quarter that they won't be able to sell but what about the side purchases when have you ever walked into a game store and bought just one thing well i've never done that but i mean i I don't think i've ever done that i do that you're weird (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> but, but i don't think you're person. representative of the shoppers in our hobby often uh i would probably disagree that i bet that the game that game stores make most of their money off of people wandering in and like buying one thing as opposed to like the hardcore fans that like return and return and return i think that most game stores make most of their money off of people like Chris who come in every week and buy all of the Arkham Horror stuff, who buy all of the Magic decks, who buy all of the Fantasy Flight, whatever, X-Wing, all those things. Well, it's the return in all customers. Honesty, <laughs> well, so you're both right. And I would have to actually look at the numbers to see what the split is. But Where's Tim hard- when we need him? <laughs> I know. Well, and I have access to all those records because I'm, I'm doing the app for him and I'm not going to go through that now, and I don't know that it's my information to share. But <laughs> from 
from what I'm perceiving, if I look at the number of customers that come in and have a non-paid membership versus the number of customers that have paid memberships at this particular game store, I would say that I'm doing quick math in my head. About 5% of the customers have paid membership. Those 5%, you can assume, are the ones that are coming back over and over and spending a ton of money. The other ones... Yeah, I mean, along along this line, like, I bet, I bet you, like, the repeat customers probably make up, like, it's a smaller, it's a smaller, you know, number, let's call it like 20 people, right? The game store probably makes like 20 to 30% of their revenue off of those like 30 people. But the rest of the 80 to 70% is probably random or like the casual buyers that walk in. But like a small group make, make up a, a large percentage and then like a huge group makes up the rest. Yep. But I think that that sort of goes to Kitty's point where those casual buyers that are going in and like they see something and, oh, this also looks cool too. You don't want to lose those. And so if you're losing them to Target, like if I never need to walk into a game store because I can just go to Target and get what I want, maybe you start losing some of those casual buyers, which is you're losing a purchase. You'd have to lose a pretty big percentage for it to, you kind of see it as a big dent. But Target's never going to do that. Right? Like, Target is an everything store. They're not a game store. Yeah. Which is weird. So, let's let's talk specifically. I'll give you the details on the Target exclusives and how they work. For as much information as I have listening to people that are involved or would love to be involved. Because most publishers, if a publisher got a phone call from Target and said, Hey, we want to do a, an exclusive with your game. They're, I, I don't know of a publisher that would say no. Because... Typical print run of a game, a successful game, is going to be about 10,000 copies. If Target comes to you and says, we want to do an exclusive, they're going to be ordering 100,000 copies from you. They're not dealing in small numbers. They're not dealing in local game store numbers. So when Target went to, um, uh, I think it's CGE, the publisher of Codenames, and said, we want to do an exclusive version of Codenames, they said, yes, absolutely, 100% want to do this. Which is fun, funny, because Target's exclusive on a lot of board games. They don't necessarily do an exclusive for a specific game. About half of them are. But they do a specific... They do versions of it. So their, their Target exclusives are normally like the undercover versions of games. Like the adult versions of games. So if you want like the adult version of Codenames, it's a Target exclusive. Like you have to go there to get the Naughty Word edition. Which is... Both interesting at the and at the same time, it's it somehow that's more of a mainstream market than <laughs> generic code names. But the point is, the publisher's making a ton off of this, and they're able to print a ton of copies. So their their margins are a lot better. But yeah. because Target's able to order so many, they're also able to keep the price someplace reasonable for them. If they didn't think think they could sell the game, they wouldn't make these kind of deals. So, you know, how Bob Ross, The Art of Chill, got to be a Target exclusive, I don't know. But that game became popular only in Target. Like, you don't, I don't know that anyone walking into a game store is be like, oh, look, a Bob Ross game. We must get this. Except me. I don't know. Bob Ross (laughs) has, like, a huge cult following. Yes. Bob Ross is. He does. He's a thing. Yeah. And the game is actually good. We own it. We played it. It's actually not a bad game. It's a very lightweight casual game, though. It feels like a game that I would get off of a Target shelf. Easy to learn, easy to teach. and Which is exactly what Target wants. Yep. They want broad appeal and games that are easy to learn and teach. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. 
Well, I mean, so, even if it's Splendor and like some weird guy's face on it, like they want <laughs> games that are ha- will have broad appeal and that are quick to learn, quick to teach, and fun. Yep. Ryan Lockett did a game exclusive for Target. And most gamers' review of this game would be like, eh, it, it's okay, but it's not a very it's not a very deep game. It's not like his other games. It was still Ryan Lockett's um art style. It's like it was his world, his universe, but he specifically needed to design a game for Target that was very much mainstream focused. So would I as a gamer go in and buy this game just because it's you know, Ryan Lockett, eh, not really, because it's not my style of game. But at the same time, you're not going to see Gloomhaven on the shelves of Target anytime no. soon. Probably. Gloomhaven might be an exception, but probably not. Um, or most heavy games. Like, you're not going to see the heavy Euro games. You're not going to see, like, the Beyond Gateway games at Target. So, Gateway games, Target, like, serving them up is a good way. Like anytime you get someone playing a gateway game, that's a gateway into the hobby. That's something saying, hey, I want to try something new. I'm going to Google stuff and oh, wow, there's so many other things here. And there's a designated game store that just does nothing but games. So I think that you're going to get more referral sales than distracted customers because of Target exclusives or just because Target's carrying games and making it a main point. As long as their focus stays on this lightweight gateway game kind of segment. You know, if they start carrying as many games as a local game store, which I doubt it's not what they do, but theoretically... They would never do that, yeah. Yeah. You know, if if people are buying them, they will. You never know. But Okay, so let's... Go ahead. I mean, if people are buying them, then I would say it's it's no longer like a a lightweight thing. Like, there's always going to be like a specialty kind of like niche market for anything right like like take anything that target sells like cheese right if you go to like a super target or whatever it's called they're gonna have probably the staple cheeses that you would buy that you can find pretty much anywhere then you go to like a a a nicer um like grocery store they'll have all those staple cheeses and then probably a few more and then like a small specialty cheese section and then you could go to like a local cheesemonger and there's not a lot of them but you can find them in like major cities or like wine and cheese shops they're going to have a huge array of like specialty cheeses. There's room for everybody. I, I, and I don't I know about you guys. The difference is, though, when, you know, when Target starts saying, like, we have this exclusive cheese you can only buy at Target, then all of the cheese people who would be going to the cheesemonger are like, well, now I want to check out this Target cheese. And che- Target is like, hey, now we're selling a bunch more cheese. We might as well carry more and more specialty cheeses. We're then, selling so, then- so much cheese. But then in, in that scenario, Target turns into a cheese shop. It's no it's no longer sells everything. It focuses on cheese. Well, and I, did, I was, I was going to use auto parts, but we'll go with the cheese thing. That's fine. Um, <laughs> yeah, auto parts is same same deal. Right? Same you, can go to, you can go to Walmart and get like auto parts. Yep. So, and I think that what happens is if you had a section that's such, such a blown out section of cheese at Target... What you've also do- done is grown the cheese audience. And that cheese audience eventually is going to want something that is outside of the range of what Target's carrying. Because they're carrying that middle 80%, right? So if you want to get outside that range, you got to go to a specialty cheese stop. And we could just say games for all of this. You but- need to say cheesemonger, Chris. You're ruining the <laughs> magic of this analogy if you don't say cheesemonger. Yeah. All right. Target's going to become a cheesemonger. But... Wait, or is the local game store the cheesemonger? The local game store is obviously the cheesemonger. He's a cheesemonger. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And I mean, <laughs> well, I think the cheese, 
Target is has like a fixed amount of space. I they're they're huge, but they carry a lot of stuff. So if they decide that they want to get into the you know the cheese game, if they want to go heavy on cheese, they carry less clothes or like auto parts or other things. And then you know people who go to Target for those things like will no longer go there. And Target doesn't want that. Target wants everybody to go to their store because they probably have what you want. Yeah. Well, and they also so game stores these days two are going through kind of a transition where selling games for the past decade hasn't really been your primary way of making money. Not not board games. Magic has been the primary way that most stores make money. But now they're starting to go through transitions of like, we want to be a community center, a place that you can go. You know, there might be a fee to play the games there or tournaments or they have whatever food, the case. They charge for food. Food, like whatever they happen to have. Like there's a, they're different now than just straight up selling board games. And they have to be. So when I go into a game store, I don't expect to see more than, you know, two or three copies of the latest hotness because that game store is not going to invest that much because they don't know that they're going to sell all that stuff. And a lot of games only exist as a single copy. So Target has the possibility. They have a smaller selection, but they're going to have more of each of those games where the local game store will have a larger selection, but less copies of each of those games. So you're kind of going for different reasons. Now, if Target turns into a full-on game store, and that's where our hobby goes, I think that residually, the smaller stores are going to benefit from that as well. Some of them won't, but then you're talking like we have the ability to have convenience stores. You look at grocery stores. You have all these great big grocery stores, but it doesn't stop you from having all the little grocery stores to kind of fill the gaps. You know, things are a little bit more expensive, but they're just more convenient. So if we get into that kind of hobby, that'd be great. What about Barnes & Noble? How do we feel about Barnes & Noble, like, really amping up their game section? Are they still around? Barnes & Noble is still around. Borders is not. Yeah, Borders did not go digital. Barnes & Noble, what? Where are they? I don't think I've seen one. There's one at um, on Clybourne by the movie theater would be the closest Oh, that's right. There is one right there. Yeah, I used to go there all the time. There's one uh, right by me. A lot of them are in malls now. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Barnes & Noble somehow survived the e-reader transition. Well, because they uh, created an e-reader. I put that in air quotes. (laughs) Well, but they're actually doing quite well. Yeah. There used to be one on Michigan. There's no... no, On Michigan Avenue, there used to be one. That's gone. Like yeah. So for those who don't know, we're from the Chicago area, so we're talking all Chicago <laughs> landmarks. <laughs> but Barnes and Noble, when I, I think this is kind of a funny analogy or analog, anagory, ana something. I'll explain it, then you can tell me what a anagram. Anagram. That that's I is think that right? analog is no, what we're looking for. Keep going. Uh, <laughs> bananagram. So this is the a funny bananagram. Um, Barnes and Noble and Borders comes in. And then everyone's concerned that the local bookstores are going to get pushed out of business. Meg Ryan is really upset about it. I know. And that (laughs) I'm not saying that didn't happen. It did. But Tom Hanks, you know, he's a good guy. (laughs) He is a good guy. Despite the fact that he owns all of the big box bookstores. This is the remake of You Got Mail that we're talking about right now. So just They should remake You've Got Mail, except that it's a local game store versus (laughs) Target. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but that was interesting because I'd watch that movie. I would watch it too. (laughs) But there's still a lot of local bookstores out there. They're different though. They're like boutique bookstores. They're they're places that you go to that you're not going to get the like the main stuff. Like you know the 
big brand stuff, but they still exist. And if you want to have that like personalized feeling, you can still go to them. So I don't, but now we're we're afraid. There are a lot less of them though. Yes. Like only the good ones survived. That's what happens. Only the really good (laughs) ones. Only the good ones made it. Perfect. Which is actually good for the hobby as well. There's a lot of bad game stores that I'm okay with them not being around. So, no offense to you bad game stores. Just be better. <laughs> <laughs> We've talked about uh, game stores before, but I don't think Fletcher was on that episode. So do we just want to take a minute to like talk about what it is that game stores have that Target can never have? Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> um <laughs> I mean, you're never going to go to Target to sit down and play a game. They're never going to have tables set up for you. with they have tables to buy. <laughs> right. Not set up yeah. to play. <laughs> yeah. You can buy a table to play your game on, yes. But you're not going to be able to walk in and play a Keyforge tournament or Magic. They're not going to be holding these events the way that local game stores do. And holding events, I think, is the number one way that game stores get people in the door consistently. Or recommendations. The employees, maybe they know about the games. But if you ask a target employee, like, oh, which game would be good for a nine-year-old who's into this kind of thing? Unless they're gonna you probably got my point brother. At, nope. <laughs> yeah. They're going to point you at whatever licensed version of Monopoly goes along with his interests. And no offense to target employees. I'm not trying to offend anyone. There are exceptions. I'm just saying, as a general rule, you wouldn't expect that a target employee is going to give you... Lots have of information. Deep knowledge of of board games. No. Yep. Yeah, I think or my cheese. brother is the only Target employee out there who is playing Pandemic Legacy. So then you could ask your brother. Where does <laughs> what Target does he work at? <laughs> Woodridge. Although he doesn't right. really work there anymore. He's back in school now. See, the one person that could have recommended a good game. Also, only not a even summer there. employee. Yep. So, and I mean, obviously, local game stores. That, that community feel. I think that recommendation of just being able to go in and like talk about games. And we've talked about my bad recommendation before. <laughs> they have to be <laughs> careful. I, I do feel like game stores can also be kind of gatekeepery sometimes. Again, we're talking about bad game stores, and these are the ones I do not mind if they go out of business. If they go down. It's hard, though, because, you know, there are bad game stores, but then there are also good game stores with like one bad employee. Yes. Or like one clueless employee. Because I don't even think they were a bad employee. They were just, you know, they were answering the question that I asked them. And so it just elaborate on that, that the, for for those ha- who have not listened for the last 150 episodes. So I asked a game store employee. Um, I was talking about a game that I liked. And they didn't have it. And I said, oh, well, what's a game like that that you enjoyed? And they described a game to me for... A long time. And I said, great. I would love to pick up that game. And they said, oh, it's out of print. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know. It's now back in print. But at the time. At the time, it was out of print. Yeah. It was Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective. I feel like now there are like three different versions of it back in print. Oh, yeah. It came back in print with a... Those are not... (laughs) (laughs) Like, I'm here to buy. I'm not here to just like... Pick your brain. <laughs> Let me tell you about this great game that I can't sell you. I mean, yeah. this, and you know, as soon as Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective came back in print, I was like, I must play this game. Like, Chris was getting rid of his copy, and I was like, no! <laughs> like, Have you played it yet? Yeah. All right. I've it played looks a few interesting of them. to me. 
You know, but, you can solo it. Yeah. I think it's best as the solo experience, to be honest. I, I think there's a lot of these detective games that are probably best as solo games or with a tight team where like you want to figure it out as a group. I've played a couple, like I really like um, Chronicles of Crime and I've played it with our parents and it feels like I have to either not say anything. So I'm always asking the questions like, okay, what do you think we should do next? Or I'm just going through and it's like, oh, we should do this, 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 and this. And everyone else is just nodding. So I agree that I think solo is fun. Like those types of kids are solo. But I bet we could play well together. Yes. Because I won't let you just do whatever you want to (laughs) do. Yep. I think two people, like Sydney and I, Sydney doesn't really like co-op games all that much. But if it's the two of us, we actually like them quite a bit because we don't let the other person run away with it. So we can actually have a discussion about what we should do. the alpha gamer problem. Really and it goes plays away. into these deduction games. You need to have two strong personalities too. Yep. I don't Not know how we got the sticker to this on Paris. from Target, but um, summarizing the Target and even the so Barnes and Noble. The reason I ask about that is because they do have a gaming section. They are basically a game store inside of a bookstore, and they're really trying that approach. That some Barnes and Nobles have events and things like that. Um, and they have game store games. Like it, it is possible that you would find a Gloomhaven at Barnes and Noble. Um, I've never seen one there, but I've seen stuff of like that weight. So I, I think it's a good thing. I think the more games, the more places that you have games that people can buy, the more people are going to realize there's cool games out there. The bigger that audience is going to get and the better, like everyone does better from that. So, um, any, any disagreements? Final thoughts on this before we go to some listener mail? Nope. All right. I am curious what other people think, though. Do you think that Target's bad for the industry? Do you think Target exclusives are bad? Um, would you ever buy a game at Target? Like That's probably rhetorical, but you can throw that in there as an extra thing to answer. Um, but yeah, let us know. Let us know what you guys think about Target. All right. We have a few listener mails to talk about. Um Let's see. Kel- uh, Kitty, why don't you go first? All right. We have an email from Brendan. My question, how do you balance your tastes with gaming groups and your community with heavy versus light? I've only been in the hobby a couple of years, but I notice on the forums and many podcasts, there is a real looking down their noses attitude about lighter games. I'd say I'm a 2.9 guy using the BGG ratings. I've got non-gaming friends, and my local game group seems to all like heavy Euros. I love any thoughts and experiences you have to share. So just to um, explain the rating real quick, BGG has a complexity rating that goes from, I believe it's 1 to 5. So 2.9 is just above middle complexity type of things. How do like how do you guys balance this? I don't, Fletcher, you don't really balance this. You just have light groups, right? Uh, I thought Fletcher only had true. heavy groups. Actually, no, you go back and <laughs> forth between light groups and heavy groups. Like, you don't have I a do. middle. Yeah. I, actually, you're right. I don't really have too many, like, middle games, I guess. Um, I'm. It's mo- It's mostly, like, light and then, like, a few core, like, really heavy games. It's like Sushi Go Party or Kingdom Death Monster. It's like, <laughs> exactly. there's no in-between. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So the, way, so the way you balance is you have completely different groups of people to play these games with. Exactly. I can buy that. What about you, Kitty? I would say I run pretty middle of the road. And I have, but I mean, like, I have a group that I play those games with. 
and I'm happy to play lighter games if somebody else is suggesting them. And whenever you drag me in, I will play a heavier game, but I don't play very many heavy games. And I don't know. I don't, I don't find this attitude of like looking down their noses at lighter games as often. I don't know if I'm just not as active on BGG forums or what it is, but I have found that like most people are just excited to find somebody who will play any game with them (laughs) most of the time. So Um, if we're talking about forums, uh, there's a couple ways that people look down on games. Uh, Way number one is the Catan way. Catan, most people are not necessarily looking down at Catan. They are looking at it as that was a kid's game. And I don't mean it as in Catan's a kid's game. I mean, when you're growing up, the games you were playing when you first started playing games are different than the ones you're playing now. So if you started with Catan 15, 20 years ago, when you think about it now, it's not on your list. It's like you've been there, you've done that. So it's 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 done its thing for you. And oh, you're just playing Catan. It's like, oh, you're just you're just in the minor leagues yet. You haven't really graduated to real games. So I've heard that kind of thing where, you know, Catan isn't isn't a good game anymore. But in reality, Catan is an amazing game. And anytime I play Catan, I have fun playing it. Do I lead with Catan? No, because I there's other games I would rather play. There's other things I've done. If somebody wants to play it, though, I'll certainly play it. And I think that that's how I manage this, because I'm sort of go through the spectrum. I love big games. I love little games. I love games all in the middle. It is depends on the people I'm playing with where I will fall and have fun. So if I'm looking for a casual game, I'll pull out Century Spice Road because it's a fun and easy game to teach. Um, actually, right now, Gizmos is probably like my most fun game, and it's also pretty fun and easy to teach. But if I'm with a group that wants to play something heavier, we want to play a legacy game, I'm all for that as well. So it's really just don't have your game, don't have your group don't have your group change to fit the game. Have the games change to fit the group you're with. Yes. Sounds good. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I was going to go off on a tangent. I don't think it's relevant. All right. All right, Fletcher, you're up. Okay. So this is from Rachel, and I saw this email. And also, uh, I think Tim Gross um, <laughs> wrote us an email, too, about the same thing. Yep. So Rachel writes, I was in Amsterdam when the board game bubble episode dropped. I was excited to hear... I was hear mention of the tulip bubble because I just had learned about the tulip museum and, and knew the reference, but then quickly observed many errors you made in the discussion. <laughs> Great. So here's the correction of your most egre- egregious error. The tulip bubble happened in the Netherlands and not Denmark. Dutch is from yeah, Netherlands. Fletcher. Yeah. Danish is from Denmark. And like, I'm sorry for all the Dutch and Danish pe- people out there. I've been to both countries, but when I'm speaking off the cuff on half remembered information, um, it's, I don't know. They both start with D's, okay? And they're both in Europe, and yep. they're kind of close to each other. So We need just to put an asterisk in front of every show saying, um, all information here is presented as maybe... As off the cuff and not researched. Yeah. <laughs> Based on a true story. Right. Um, and then so she, she has some additional here. info. Yeah. So the collapse happened in February of 1637 at the height of the tulip mania. Oh, at the height of the tulip mania, a single bulb was worth between 3,000 and 4,200 guilders, which was 10 times the yearly income of a skilled craftsman. And wow. Yeah. And the cost of a house. So yeah, that's, it was, it was insane. Uh, that's, 
Okay. Sort of awesome, actually. Right. Actually, it's sort of awesome that, Rachel, you were in the Tulip Epicenter when we were talking about tulips. So, I, lo- I love this. Kitty, you just sent us something. Is this a uh, link I need to put in the show notes? Yes, this is a um, a bunch of Americans trying to fill in the map of Europe. <laughs> oh, is... I could actually be pretty good at this. They miss Portugal. I would be... They miss, they miss Switzerland. And... There's they, I, Denmark, Sweden, Norway. Literally no right idea. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, literally no idea. Right yeah. in the This has um, like Croatia. at least 10 different people trying to fill in this map with varying come on, degrees Greece. of success. Greece is easy. And Turkey's right next to Greece. So come on. You right, see the, the one where they've one... just written Borat over half of it? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I can identify Italy and the UK. No problem. Um, but... In America's defense, if you give America a U.S. map and say fill out the states, we do the exact same thing. We're just oh, I bet not I could good fill at it geography. Um, also, if you give Europeans, I mean, I've got the same. I'll put that one up too. Oh, oh the they, Europeans filling out the U.S. map. Yeah. What if they just yeah. do like South America or like North America? I guess North America is not too hard. <laughs> All right, one more email, and then we can really go off on a tangent here. Um, actually, this, this actually goes along with this because I don't know. So we're going to open up this question to everybody. Faz Flintham sends us a question. He says, what games are famous in different countries? He says, you guys always talk. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I'm looking at this picture. And <laughs> this is the, this is the, <laughs> this is, uh, the Europeans filling this out. And it says, New York is one of these 10 states, which is all of the, like, the New England states grouped together. But it's specifically pointing at New Jersey, which I think New Yorkers. <laughs> would have a great deal of uh you know grief wait with is that new jersey or is that connecticut that's new jersey chris are you sure yes Yes. that's that's the state where i was born the one on the other side (laughs) yeah all right i think i see delaware in there oh all right so (laughs) new hampshire's (laughs) okay (laughs) i'm sorry i love this very much See, we're going to have to go YouTube just so other people could actually get these visual jokes. We're not doing that. Okay, fine. Fast Linsome asks us a question. <laughs> he says, you guys always talk about apples to apples as a base game reference, but I have not heard of it in the UK. Also, I cannot figure out how Homeworlds. All right, that's fine. But his question essentially is, what games are famous in different countries? If we still had Josh here, he could tell us UK games, but I... Actually, he did at one point give us some UK games. I don't know. I don't know what games are big in different countries because, well, I rarely travel outside of this country. But what I'm curious about, because I know about a third of our audience is outside of the US, I would love for everybody to email in the most, maybe not the most famous game in your country, but the game that you think is most unique to your country that you don't think we've never heard us talk about it like it's just not a u.s thing at all and if whatever we get i'm gonna we'll talk about this not in our next episode but in the following episode so and to sweeten the deal here and even if you're in america you can do the same thing if you you know so anyone can enter um we will be giving away something to a a entrant and not an entrant but someone who responds to this question tell us something about a country that a game is specific to, 
And in two weeks, we will read them off. And most likely, it'll be a gift card because this is going to be kind of an international thing. So um, I will get you guys a gift card to something. So subject line, popular game in my country or country X or whatever. All right. Okay. Are you guys still looking at maps? I am. I'm just looking at Fletcher look at the maps because his reactions (laughs) are really great. (laughs) It's so funny. This is like, fun fact, no one knows what the squares in the middle are. Someone has like labeled this as Montana. No, the squares in the middle are easy. It's Colorado and Wyoming. Those are the only two squares. (laughs) Have you got to the one where it's just like the middle is all Texas? (laughs) (laughs) Somebody labeled Nevada as Utah, which I find hilarious. That is, but that I I actually 100% be like, yeah, yeah, I can see that happening. They all look the same. And if you don't know the states, you just, you like, there's a few obvious ones Florida, Texas, California. Those ones you should know. Michigan, you should know because they're very distinct states. Alaska but, and Hawaii. Alaska and Hawaii. But the rest of them, it's kind of tricky. I like this person who has labeled Montana as not Canada. <laughs> <laughs> Canada is the 51st state. A surprising so amount cold. of people get Illinois. It's where Chicago um, is. I yeah, know, but and still. You, you have Lake Michigan there, so it's... Which wouldn't be helpful. <laughs> like, Well, it's a way of centering. So you know where Chicago is. If you know Chicago is next to a big lake, you're like, oh, okay, well, this this probably looks about right. Maybe. I don't know. But apparently, I don't know which state's New York. I think <laughs> I know which one's Pennsylvania. This person labeled uh, Missouri as Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we are going way off here. Um, this could be a little bit of a sh- in the show note for everyone. <laughs> yeah. These are from like five years ago, but still enjoy them. They're still irrelevant this- and good. Yes. So yeah, so this is a little bit shorter of episode than normal. Um, we have a lot of work to do before Gen Con, so the extra we've gone time completely be- off the rails. Chris can no longer control Fletcher and me. So uh, I, I, it's beyond hope anymore. Um, but if you care to follow us in our Beyond Hopeness, uh, Facebook, Twitter. There's a Patreon page. Um, here, Kitty, you read the rest of that. <laughs> <laughs> We're going straight into Tabletop Game Talk as a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. <laughs> yes, I like how that's a question mark, too. <laughs> read the whole thing. Thanks for listening. <laughs> the Dice uh, Tower remember. Network isn't going to be proud of us anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they've, I don't know if they've ever been really proud of us. Uh, they just tolerate us. Thanks for listening. And remember, we love your feedback. So email us with comments or questions about today's topic at feedback at tabletopgametalk.com. Finally, a huge thank you to our patrons, Adam Harrison, the SGC, Jason Strong, Terrence Miltner, Stephen Seitz, Michael Old, Brian Arnold, Sean P. Kelly, C. Marie, Rudy Liu, Benjamin Heimowitz, Jerry Wang, Stephen Phillips, Caleb O'Brien, Jennifer Engelbrecht, Justin Willard, Christopher Dong, Jason Marks. Jeremy Fisher, David Radke, Nick Quickstra, David Sellers, Jason Rodney, Michael Yanikowski, Miles Clark, Cindy Loom, Phil Schwartzel, Ann Reynolds, Eric Huffman, Adrian Dong, Christopher Vincent, Nate Faz Flintham, Sean Peck, Eric Salander. Mike Smith, Trevor Davis, Tim Vernick, Chris Lowe, Joe Hoover, Timothy Gross, Glenn Cotter, Jesse Wilkowiak, Emil Jewell Jacobson, Marina Stevens, I Brady every single time. Brady Belzer, <laughs> Gregory Huber, Don Gilstrap, Stephen Judd, Leanne Verholst, she, uh, Christopher, I was going to say Chicago Letco, Christopher Letco, <laughs> John Lewis, and Joe Rackstad. Until next week, keep playing games and having fun.
I'm terrible at geography. These I, maps I don't are know amazing. that I could. We know do that any you're the one who wrote "Further South Dakota" on Nebraska. <laughs> <laughs>